Welcome, welcome to the Sport of Kings podcast. On this week's pod, we are handicapping the late pick five from Monmouth on Saturday, July 18th. This is show number 72, July 17th, 2020. I'm Scott Carson, founder of Sport of Kings, and I'm joined by my co-host, Hall of Fame handicapper, Chris Larmy. Chris, congratulations on finishing second in the Keeneland Summer Challenge. Thank you, Scott. That was a lot of fun and very rewarding. I enjoyed it immensely. The only thing that would have been better if, is if I was at Keeneland with you upstairs watching the races live and in the contest. But this was the next best thing. Uh, that would have been that would have been phenomenal. And you know, just knowing my luck recently in the Keeneland contest, I would have gotten. Six or seven thousand dollars and finished twenty fourth. This is, I think, was the highest scoring Keeneland contest I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean that was the only unfortunate part is my my score probably would have won eight or nine out of ten contests. <laughs> so it just happens to be the time where somebody hits a, a monster forty thousand dollar score on the last race and blows by by you um, in the stretch, but. That's the way it goes. I'm not complaining. I'll, I'll take second place. It would have been nice to have been the champion because we always like to win, but I'm happy. And we have a special guest. He came into prominence on the TV show Horse Players. He's a racing analyst for NBC and In the Money Media. He's a dangerous tournament player, having won the Aqueduct Challenge, beating me out for first place that year. And he finished sixth in the BCBC Betting Challenge. He has his own podcast called The Matt Bernier Show. He is, of course, Matt Bernier. Matt, welcome to the show. Scott, Chris, thanks for having me. It's always fun to uh, be able to chop things up with you guys. I haven't seen you guys in a while in person, but um, nice to be on here. And, and hopefully we can give out some, some good info for the folks that are listening. Well, we try to do that. And, um, uh uh, you know, we always look to our guests to give us info that we weren't thinking of. So look forward to it. I just want to ask you a couple of questions, Matt. For, the first thing is, what are you doing now? Because you, you have your hand doing, it seems like you're doing a lot of different things, a lot of different media. Um, what are you generally up to? Yeah, I think spinning plates at this point is the, the best way to, to put it all. Uh, obviously, the NBC piece is picked up here. Um, I've for throughout the years, I've only ever done the Breeders' Cup sort of challenge series as well as the event itself. So the Triple Crown's never been my piece, but um, obviously this year with a little bit of a, an awkward schedule uh, because of coronavirus and COVID-19, everything has been kind of jockeyed around. So that started up. And along with that, obviously have the podcast within the money media. I've been doing a little bit of writing for 
racingpicks.com. And, you know, people ask about the TVG situation. All I can say right now is given the circumstances, I think everything is just kind of on hold. Everybody needs to kind of wait and see how this whole thing is going to play out long term. And then, you know, we'll revisit when the time is appropriate. But for now, just kind of biding my time doing a few different things and uh, helping out with ABR every once in a while. So um, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and trying to get back into the tournament world a little more than than maybe I had when I was working at the racing forum when I, I was unable to play in many of the events as far as eligibility was concerned. So a little bit of everything at this point. Again, spinning plates would probably be the best way to, to describe it. Well, you know, I, I always... I, I'm always impressed by people spinning plates. Um, can you elaborate <laughs> on what racingpicks.com is? Like, is it your thing? Is it somebody else's thing? What are you doing for it? And what's the purpose of the site? Yeah, racingpicks.com is uh, sort of, it, it's the, the brainchild of the folks over at Odds Checker. Uh, and for those of you that are unfamiliar with Odds Checker, uh, it's a website that is predominantly based over in the UK, but they have websites all across the world. Um, and it gives you updated, it gives you updated odds on, on different events, whether it's sports, horse racing, politics, you name it. Um, and they also offer out sort of, you know, what they would call of their tips and, and things like that. And uh, a few months ago, uh, I was going back and forth with some folks and got introduced to some of the people that are over there. And they said, you know, we're starting to or we're interested in kicking off a site specifically for American racing. Would you have any interest? Uh, you know, it took a little while for the website to get up and going, and, and everything seems to be going fine now as far as the, the tech side of things. There were a couple of little hiccups early on, but um, so basically what it is is just throughout the week, myself, uh, Andrew Champagne is over there on Mondays and Tuesdays, just providing free information for people that are interested in it. Um, there's no fee, there's no sign up. I shouldn't say there's no sign up. All you need to do is enter your email address. Um, there's no sort of payment or anything like that. You can just go over there and do with it what you will. Uh, I'm on Wednesday through Sunday, uh, four days a week. It's written analysis on Saturdays. I'll do either uh, one or two quick little videos uh, for three or four races across the country and, and sort of lay out ideas where, and that's the way that I've always approached the public handicapper piece. And I understand people approach it differently. You know, is a, is a public handicapper's job strictly to pick winners or is it to try to provide some sort of insight that people may have overlooked? My, my thought has always been anybody can pick a favorite, and I don't mean that in a demeaning way, but I want to try to offer perhaps something that someone who is putting together a, a pick four or a pick five, or if they were just looking at a race, a big race, and they, they had a difficult time making heads or tails of it, if there was anything I could offer that was something that they didn't see initially or at first blush didn't really take into account, that to me is what my job is. So the, the pick side of it, yes, maybe I'll occasionally throw out some 15 or 20 to one shots that run last, but I'd like to think there's reasoning behind it. And if I think there's a two to one shot that just can't be beat, I'm not afraid to play that horse either or give them out and, and tell, tell so accordingly. Um, so that, that's basically what's going on over there. And again, I'd encourage anybody to check it out. It's all free. All you got to do is enter your email address. There's also all sorts of great signups as far as uh, ADWs here in the United States are concerned, give you all sorts of offers. So racingpicks.com. Cool. Well, um, it sounds like another plate and we appreciate you accepting our plate to spin. Chris, did you have any <laughs> questions for Matt before we got started? Just one real quick question. I know Matt, you do a lot of um, race watching and replay watching and uh, you know, what is it that you look for 
that helps you as a handicapper when you're looking at races? And I know that you spend some time talking about the, the lead changes in the stretch with horses. And I'm mm -hmm. just curious how, how you use that information. If you find a horse that doesn't change leads appropriately, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Does it matter if it's a younger horse or an older horse? Um, that's something I don't really incorporate much into my handicapping. So I'm just curious as to how you apply that um, to either upgrade or downgrade horses in particular and anything else about, you know, watching races that you use in your handicapping. Well, specifically to the lead change piece, that's probably the question I get asked the most because I talk about it so much. And I, I think it's one of those things where if you're a numbers player, it, it really doesn't matter what the horse looks like. If you're just going off of whether it's the sheets or the racing form or whatever it may be, you know, how the horse is moving doesn't really mean a whole heck of a lot. If you're somebody that incorporates the visual aspect of it, and, and by no means when I say visual aspect, I'm not talking about horse flesh because I, I can't tell you when a horse looks like a million dollars or a all I know is when a horse is all washed out and looks like they're getting ready to shave because they got lather all over them. Usually I don't like that. Usually not a good thing. But with the lead change piece, with younger horses, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit kinder because usually when they get a little bit goofy and either they don't change leads or they swap leads throughout, it can just be a sign of immaturity and inexperience. And they're trying to figure things out. And I, I kind of relate it to, you know, we, let's just use the NFL with quarterbacks or Major League Baseball with pitchers. Typically, you can you have certain horses and, and, and athletes that are going to get by on talent alone, and mechanically they can they're just going to be able to they're just going to be able to outperform whatever their sort of mechanical flaws may be. A horse like Gunrunner, who was notorious for swapping leads throughout, it didn't matter because he was an exceptional talent. But when you go a little bit farther down the ranks, whether it is let's just say your your 50 claimers or, or whatever the case may be, and you sort of make the analogy to the the double A baseball player, well, you, you can't necessarily get by on talent alone at that point. You need to really do everything as sound as possible because any wasted movement is expended energy that you don't have for that stretch run. So to me, it's, it's much more a matter of, okay, the younger horses, I get it. They're figuring things out, but older horses that are that lack that sort of professionalism to me it's always going to be a red flag because i think it's going to jump up and bite them at some point whether it's today or down the road and at the same time one of the i would say even more important pieces for me is when horses do something differently than they have been for an extended period of time so if you get a horse that is like clockwork with the lead changes is a four-year-old or a five-year-old and everything looks great and then all of a sudden they're late to change leads or they change back to their left lead just before the wire. Typically to me, that can potentially be a sign either that A, they're going off form or B, something's wrong physically. And I think the more information you have, and yeah, maybe it's a little bit of inferring potentials, but I mean, isn't that what handicapping is? You're, you're trying to make some sort of a conclusion on what you think is going to happen today, tomorrow, whenever the race is run based on what you've seen in the past leading up to this. And for me, that can be a harbinger of bad things to come. Um, I'll, I'll never forget there was a workout from Dortmund leading into the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile a number of years ago. And he had always been very, very professional, very on cue with his lead changes. And this one workout, he was extremely late. And then he popped back to his left lead. And I said, I want no part of him. Throw him out entirely. And I think he's still running. I don't think he picked his feet up that day. So th there, I, and I'm cherry picking a, an obvious example, but I think it's something that, you know, a lot of people roll their eyes and they hear me talk about it because I talk about it ad nauseum. But I think it is one of those pieces that's 
extremely valuable as far as trip handicapping is concerned and, and possibly horses cycling off form or something going wrong. And then just in general with, with trip sort of handicapping, you know, everybody can see the obvious trips, the ones where the horses are bottled up and behind runners and whatever the case may be. I'm more interested in, you know, w- was there a middle move? Was there a horse that made a serious middle move uh, into the teeth of the pace and that perhaps sapped a little bit of the energy out of them late where a little bit of a better timed ride next time out could potentially lead to a better result. Those are the sort of hidden moves to me that, that I think many trip handicappers, everyone again, sees the obvious things. Can you see the little sort of between the lines efforts that, that perhaps could preclude a forward move? Thanks. That That's really interesting. That's something I'll have to pay more attention to going forward is trying to watch for those lead changes. Like you said, it seems like if they have been doing it properly and then all of a sudden they stop doing that, that's probably a sign of something and it's probably not a good sign. It's funny. Uh, I was uh, watching a replay for this pod. It was Dr. Post and I was trying to check out his action. I said, hey, did he change leads? And I thought of Matt because Matt's the <laughs> lead change guy. So anyway, it's let's... Just, uh, it's just uh, one of those things that it just turned into, you know, I, I watched enough races, and, and uh, someone who really turned me on to it was Dan Illman down at the racing forum. And he said, just keep an eye on that, because that can typically be a harbinger of things to come. And, and I've, I've had enough success with it where I talk about it as much as I do. So, Cool, cool. Um, so I know that you have limited time, Matt, so we're going to get started on the late pick five at Monmouth on Haskell Day. And before we get started, I did want to note that Monmouth not only has a 15% takeout pick five, but also a 15% takeout pick four. So sometimes I, I, I feel like if I'm at knocked out of the pick five in the first leg, I don't want to play the pick four because it's a 25% pick takeout at some tracks. Um, but in this case, it's not. So it's 15%. So keep that in mind. Um, the first race of the day for us is the 10th race at Monmouth. It's the Monmouth Cup, a grade three mile and an eighth on dirt, purse of 300000 for three-year-olds and up. And Matt, as our guest, let's have you go first. You know, I, I think this is a, an interesting race because I don't know that there are any standouts as far as talent is concerned. I think you have horses that are doing a number of things, whether it's coming off of lengthy layoffs, uh, distance changes, configurations going from one turn to two turns, number of different things. I think if I were playing a bigger pick five ticket, I would probably spread out a little bit. Uh, but if I was going to really get narrow, I would probably be keying in on the number three horse senior investment and the number 10 Bodie Express. Um, senior investment for me, he'd probably be my sort of air quotes pick in the race, you know, odds pending. He's 10 to one on the line. He's always been a horse throughout his career that second off the layoff, he's taken a pretty significant step forward. And and I've never really viewed him as a as a one-turn type of horse. I think getting out to a mile and eighth going two turns is going to be very beneficial for him. That Westchester, I'm drawing a line through it. He can't really run on a wet track, at least historically he hasn't, and faced a world of different animal in Code of Honor and endorsed in that spot. Much softer position here. I think the mile and an eighth works for him despite the one for six overall record. Um, he would be my top pick at 10 to one. And then, like I said, Bodie Express, I know there are maybe some concerns about the mile and an eighth. I thought he ran an unbelievable race in the house, Hope, given how close he was to that hot pace. Everybody else that was around him is still running. And Identifier and Just Whistle came from out of the clouds to run him down and only beat him by a length and a half. 
I thought it was a really game gutsy effort on a track that I thought also was a little bit tilted. Um, so he would be my other sort of A if we were playing sort of the Steve Chris ABC method, the 10 Bodie Express and the three senior investments. Cool. Um, well, I will just add before we swing to Chris that uh, senior investment is coming out of those Laurel races, which one of our guests, I think it was Brent Sumja, said that horses haven't been coming out of Laurel and running that well. But, um, but, but I certainly respect the horse's chances. Chris, what did you think? Well, I agree with Matt. This is probably a race where in horizontals you need to spread some. Uh, it seems really wide open to me. You have several of these four-year-olds that were pretty good as three-year-olds that are coming back. Um, and you have to decide who you like among those. Um, so there's a lot of different ways you could go. I'll talk about one horse and then toss it back to you, Scott. Um, the horse I decided I like probably the most as, as the pod pick would be the six-horse core beliefs who um, was a, a good three-year-old. Uh, he was on the Derby Trail. Uh, he finished you know, uh, kind of a distant third to justify, and he finished second in the Peter Pan, uh, and then kind of went south, and I think he won the, won the Ohio Derby maybe even. If, I don't remember. I'll have to check. Let's see. I think he won the Ohio Derby. Yeah, he did. And But then he kind of went, the wrong way and they brought him back as a four-year-old and he never really ran much as a four-year-old so he knows another long layoff and he changes barns and now he's in a new barn and i thought his comeback effort was really good and it's second off a layoff he's a five-year-old now he's a full-grown uh horse and could have developed quite a bit um as and be much faster potentially than he was the three-year-old which would mean he could easily win this race so i kind of like him as one of these horses that could really jump up and run a career effort at a big price i think he could get overlooked completely on the board he doesn't have a glamorous big name connections and he hasn't won a race in a long time so in a wide open race i think core beliefs might be able to pull off a big upset uh, I actually like that horse as well, and it's my second choice in the race. Uh, I'll just note, since we're talking about him, that the trainer, his sweet spot is second off a layoff. That's where he has a 210 ROI lifetime. So he only hits at 15%, but when he hits, he hits. So that's a good, the, the, the one negative about the trainer, I don't really know anything about him, but he's 0 for 6 in the last 90 days. So it's been a while since he had a drink. But clearly, like I, I have him in second. Now, the horse that I landed on, which I wanted to I wanted to bet against him when I first saw it, I, I was all ready to to disrespect global campaign. But then I watched his last race and I decided I like him. So basically, he had a really bad trip in his last race. Uh, it was, first of all, like when you watch the replay, there's just rain pouring down. And if you've ever ridden a horse, they can get spooked by the wind, but like rain pouring on their face, it, it, even rags and sheets, they have an R when it's raining. Um, it, it can be a factor in a horse's trip. So not only was that happening, but 
he he broke to his right and he he slammed into the horse next to him and uh he he got the worst of it he was like on the back side of the other horse so you know he just it was it was a it, it was hard to see exactly how much trouble it was but i think it was significant enough i would give it the benefit of the doubt that it was a lot of trouble he was a little over eager the entire trip he still closed pretty well and it's a really interesting figure. I've never seen it. I never noticed it before, but time form actually has the seventh, eighth time with, as an adjusted fraction. And so I, I've never seen that number. I don't know how they come up with that number. I've never seen it in any official chart, but the seventh, eighth of that mile race was running for, he ran it in 11.35 seconds. So he really ran, he made a good run right at the end. And then he faded and like it was like a 13 and a half second final for, you know, final furlong. But overall, it was still under 25 for the, the two uh, seventh and eighth eighths, seventh and eighth eighths. So so I thought it was pretty impressive. And given that bad trip and how good he looked in his previous race, and then I'm looking at his breeding and he's a half to bolt door. His damn sire is AP Indy. He's he's a lot of people are going to write him off off that last race and he ran pretty well last year. He won at a mile and an eighth. It was a one turn, uh, the Peter Pan at Belmont. And then he didn't do that well in the Jim dandy, but he was three wide the entire trip and tax was running like a great race. So I, I think if he's nine to two and I, I don't know, I don't see why he wouldn't be. He's, he's my pick in the race. Uh, but I, again, I also like core beliefs. I do think you have to kind of go deep in this race and I would be interested also in including until I, until I get information. Otherwise I would include senior investment, math wizard, Jovia and Bodhi express. Matt jump back. I, I put Matt yeah. to sleep. I was yapping for too long. <laughs> no, no, no. Good. Look, the, the horses that I was going to use as far as if you really were going to spread, uh, Chris, you and or, uh, Scott, you and I basically have the same ones checked off. Um, I was looking at three, four, seven, and nine. So uh, to me, it's a situation where, you know, Monongahela is the kind of horse, look, if he wins, great. He, I just, he's so hard to trust. He occasionally shows up with those giant efforts, but you know, I think you also have to acknowledge the elephant in the room. He was in services barn. And I, you know, I just, I've never liked the horse. If he wins great, I'll tip my cap and say, good on you. Um, you know, you brought up a couple of the other horses, especially in Jovia. I, I think he's kind of sneaky in here just because not only because he's run well at Monmouth in the past, but I think he's the kind of horse that if they're just prominent with him and just use his speed early on, that's what his asset is to me anyway. Don't get cute with it. Just send them on and say, if it works, great. If it doesn't, we went out using our best asset. I hate it when connections and riders take away a horse's best piece. And that's this horse's best piece is his speed. Just send him on a mission. He's going to be every, I don't know if it'd be 20, maybe he's 15 to one. Um, he's another one I would definitely consider if you're spreading deep. Chris, yeah, do you I, have any? Yeah, go ahead. Um, the only other, I, I don't disagree with anything you said. All the horses you've mentioned, I think, are contenders. The only, the, my second choice, probably from a value standpoint, would be the five math wizard who you mentioned, Scott. Um, I, I think he's sitting on a big race. He, he had some really fast workouts. His problem is he tends to drop 
back pretty far, but his last race, they put blinkers on him and he had been really working fast with the blinkers on him, assuming before that race, that race wasn't great, but it was awful layoff. And now he's second off a layoff and stretching out. And maybe those blinkers will keep him a little closer than he has been in some of his races. And it does seem like, you know, Jovea and Bodhi Express and a few others will make this a solid early pace. So he might get a good pace to run into. And and so I think, you know, he at double digit odds would be decent value in here. So I'm probably possibly if in the verticals, I'd be playing the six core beliefs and maybe five math wizard. But I agree with both of you. This is a spread race and all the horses you mentioned, I think are, are contenders. I wouldn't disagree with that. Yeah. You know, with Math Wizard, I wrote this down. He, they put on blink. First of all, he wins the Pennsylvania Derby without blinkers. He didn't really get good until they took the blinkers off. And then he runs great. And then they put blinkers on for his last race. And he runs fifth. And now they're keeping him on. So I, I'm not sure what the, I, the intention is there. I mean, I don't you guys have any opinion on that? No, I, I, you know, to me, he's just that kind of horse where, and, and this is probably being unkind, you know, that Pennsylvania Derby, you know, there was how many horses in a blanket for the most part, I think there were probably four or five of them that you could just throw up in the air. And I think if you run the race every time, you're going to get a different result. I, I just, I think he's a fine horse. I don't think he has any kind of giant edge on anyone, but to your point, Scott, you know, the, the blinker situation, like you say, it's a pretty stark contrast. When you see the races that he ran with the shades on compared to the ones with them off, and I, I look, you know, maybe Sappy Joseph knows something that, that we don't. I just, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, it, it's a pretty stark difference in when the horse has blinkers versus when he doesn't. I think he runs much better when he doesn't have them on. Yeah, I mean, on the numbers, he's like for me, he's a horse you have to use. But I did, you know, I kind of overread into the first race, uh, which is why. I'm still not quite done with the last race, but, um, uh, you know, at, at double digit odds, you got to give a little bit of the benefit to the doubt, benefit of the doubt to the trainer. Let's move okay. on to the 11th race. It's the United Nations stakes, a grade one mile and three eighths on turf purse of 300,000 for three year olds and up. And Chris, what did you think here? Well, this is another, um, interesting race. I mean, it's a grade one race, but there's really only one grade one horse in the race. That's the one Arklo. And in a typical situation, you would probably just say he's your, your single or at least your lone A and you move on. But because he ran a dull race and it was last week and they wheel him back for this, you have to wonder, can you trust him? Um, even though he is clearly the best horse in the race, that is a, you know, a cause for pause. And if he doesn't win, it's really wide open after that. It's really hard to separate these, um, the rest of the, the field. And um, I, there's two horses I probably like that I, I'm interested in playing the verticals. I'll go with the, the biggest price as sort of my pod pick, and that would be the 7-0 Dionysus, who we've actually, I think Scott and I both picked him last year in, some, in a race where he won at a pretty good price. 
Um, he's a, he's fast enough to win this race. He can handle the distance. Uh, the question for him is he's off a layoff, although he's run well off a layoff before. The difference is this year he's in a new barn. The trainer is really kind of a, a, a trainer that trains jumpers and hurdlers. So um, he doesn't have that many starters um, on the flat. And so I'm not sure what he'll do with this horse off the layoff, but typically those trainers get them fit off um, layoffs. So he could have this horse ready to run. And if he does, um, there's no reason why he couldn't win. He fits. He's certainly as fast as anything else in the race other than Arklow. So I'm just going to maybe roll the dice and hope that trainer has the horse ready and that the seven horse could pull an upset 20 to one on the morning line. And you might get that. Well, we did, we ride Odionisis in a couple of picks last year, including the, the race that he won. But you know, what, what really disappoints me is that he ran his lifetime best in his second off the layoff at Pimlico on uh Preakness day. And I bet like $800 into that horse. Cause I was in a contest and he ran the number of his life, the best number, exactly what I expected him to. But he was five wide, both uh, like all three turns, and he finished fifth. Matt, what did you think? Yeah. So this race for me, um, as far as Arc Low goes, he's another one. I've just, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of being fans and not fans of certain horses. Arc Low's never really done it for me. But to Chris's point, I mean, he is the class of the field. I just don't trust him in general, and I don't certainly don't trust him on seven days rest off of a bit of a dud down at Keeneland. Then I go through, and I, I watched that tiller a number of times from Belmont Park, and I wasn't blown away by anyone. I mean, if you believe the, the interior split based on time forms pace figures, one of the middle splits was actually rather quick. I suppose you can look at it and say a horse like current moved into the hottest part of the pace and then just sort of leveled out, but frankly, I think current should be forwardly ridden as opposed to rallying from off of it like he was in the Pan Am two starts back. So I, I didn't really want anybody from the tiller. Then that, that pretty quickly narrows down this field. I'm only going to use the maker horses. And I initially had looked at it and said, I've been a big fan of aquaphobias for a really long time. Uh, you know, makers got a hold of him. I thought he's, I really think he's run well in all four of the starts since makers got him. The problem is I just have this nagging suspicion about the added ground. I'm not entirely convinced. Having said that, I would use him as an A. My pick is going to be the three mugs and Matic. And on paper, class-wise, he's not nearly as good as some of these other horses. But if we're really kind of dissecting it, how good are these other horses outside of Arklow? I, I don't know that you have any superstars in here. And the sort of pet angle, the Mike Maker stretch out and turf races – you know, I'm just going to kind of chalk it up and say Maker and Maker I trust in a situation like this. Paco takes them out, second off the layoff. I thought the horse was kind of unimpressive in that Florida bred stakes race most recently. But the big piece for me was he was extremely late to change leads. But once he finally did, he galloped out about 20 lengths in front of the rest of the field. And I, I, this is nothing more than me taking a guess. I can't help but think that maybe they saw that and said, you know what, let's take a shot. Maybe this field comes up soft. We'll run him in here. Maybe we can get a piece of this thing. He's eight to one on the line. I wouldn't take him anything shorter than that. Um, I think he can be forwardly placed in this race, and and really it does. For me, it boils down to the two maker horses, and I'll go with the three mugs and Matic. He's a better price. All right. I, I, I had him as a potential upsetter, and I've been thinking about Arklow 
I think you can't play the pick five without using Arclo. So if you can't construct a ticket that is efficient and you may not be able to, um, because I don't think you can go with only Arclo, but here's the key with Arclo. Not only is he the fastest horse, but he's getting weight. He's carrying 118. I mean, this, this is like the classiest horse, but he also might be even money. So I don't know, you know, there, there's gotta be a way to make it work or maybe there's not. And, and you tried a, a different bet. Uh, I, I, while you were talking, I looked up Chris, the trainer off, uh, 180 day plus layoff turf, older horses. How do they do? And he's 23% with an 044 ROI. So, uh, that's 44 cents, which is not good, but that's hurtling. Right. And so, and, and then there are a lot of prices here that say zero, zero. So I don't know if they're just, um, I, I, they just, there's no, no wagering probably. They, yeah. So I don't know if that yeah. like counts to make it right to bring him down to like, he paid zero, he won, but he paid zero. So your ROI sucks. Uh, but he clearly can win off a layoff. So I'm inclined now to, to give him the benefit of the doubt because he ran a good race last year off the layoff. The, uh, the horse I'm going to pick though, is the outside horse Perrette. Now, I admit that part of it is James Lawrence, the trainer, he did really great for me with Glorious Song. And, but, you know, he proved with Glorious Song that he can sort of develop an older horse into a grade one stakes winner. And Perrette won his last race at 38 to one and his previous race at, he got second at 22 to one running, running on the lead. So he's going to get the lead today, tomorrow, uh, Saturday, he's going to get the lead. He can run fast fractions. He's got fast time form numbers. Nobody else really has to have the lead. So he's going to have the lead. He's carrying more weight than Arklow, but he, if he sets a slow pace, which there's a good chance that he will, Arklow is going to be in the same position he was last week, which is a slow pace where he, can't just can't catch up. So, so I'm going to make Perrette my top pick, but I would also use Aquaphobia, who I, I think has always wanted to run long on the turf and is just getting to do that now. And, uh, and then there's got to be a way to use Arclo. Uh, you know, like if you're doing the pick five and you use Arclo, you have to whittle it down in another leg. You can't go with like Arclo and authentic in the, uh, you know, unless you have three bombs in the other legs, but I, I, I let's, I would not play it without it. Cause that, he's the fastest horse and he's getting weight. So that's where I stand. Yeah. And he's, he's a good on horse. the rail. Yes. And he's on the rail. So, you know, he's going to save ground and he's getting weight from some of the horses and he's the only legit grade one horse in the race. So, I agree with you. It's hard to leave him off, but I agree with Matt. And I guess I said it myself already that it's hard to trust two off of that last race in the wheel, you know, wheeling back a week later. You know, you usually don't see that with grade one, grade two horses in the U.S. In Europe, they do it sometimes because their season's so short. But um, 
Uh, anyway, I there's another horse I like quite a bit in here, and I was really debating on which of the two I liked better. Was it the seven, O Dionysus, or this horse? Um, the eight horse Corelli is another horse I like quite a bit in here. Um, Scott knows that I am biased always towards the European horses once you start getting to a mile and a quarter or farther. And this horse uh, fits that bill. If you look at it, um, him, he's run really well at like mile and a half to a mile and uh, anything mile and a half or, or less. He's been really good. They tried him on um, actually in a race that was almost a two and 11 16th miles. He didn't he couldn't handle that. Um, but at a mile and a half, he's, but was very good in Europe. He doesn't like soft going his, his, his last couple races on yielding were bad. But if you look at his last, um, uh, few races in Europe at a mile and a half, you know, he was a second by a head in a 16 horse field, second by a nose, um, second by a half, uh, he won a race, um, you, you know, see, so he's always right there. And that's carrying lots of weight. And you know, one of those races he carried 136 pounds. His U.S. debut was not bad at all. Um, he he finished seventh behind Parrot. That was that race that that Matt talked about. But he had a brutal trip, a really bad trip. And now he gets Lasix, and they put blinkers on him. And this is a second race as a gelding, second race in the United States. Um, his trainer is a good young trainer. Um, I mean, just a lot of positives. This horse is probably going to jump forward significantly off that last race. And I think he could definitely turn the tables on, on Parrot. And I think he could win this race, assuming Arklow doesn't run. And he's the one horse in here, I think, that could actually beat Arklow, even if he does run, because... At a mile and three eighths, this horse could run a really big race. First time Lasix, second off a layoff, second U.S. start, blinkers on. I mean, a lot of positives coming off that trip that was really a bad trip that he had to be able to improve off of. So to me, Corelli's also really live um, in here and could be the one that could, you know, set things up in the pick five in terms of a price. I had him as a horse that I, I wrote, I have to watch the last race. That trainer is scary. And with this jockey, Centeno, he's hitting at 38%. So he's clearly uh, a horse that you may want to use. And I have it as a use as of right now. <laughs> but we'll see how the ticket ends up. Any, uh, any other thoughts on this one, Matt? Yeah, to, you know, to your point, Scott, um, I think the, the big thing for me when I was going through looking at this sequence is if you, if you think that Arklow and Authentic both win, it's very, very difficult to find serious value. And you, unless you think the other three legs are just going to be 15 to one shots left and right. But even having said that, everyone's going to have Arklow and Authentic for the most part in some fashion on their ticket. So to me, it was either if you're going to use one prominently and admittedly, I'd probably be playing a smaller ticket and thinking that there's a scenario where it chalks out I, to me, it's, you got to pick one or the other. And in my opinion, it just, you know, do with it what you will. I think authentic is a more likely winner of the Haskell than Arklow is given all the reasons that we've laid out with the short layoff, with the dud at Keeneland, with his penchant for when he does, win, he wins by a neck to a half length, I was more inclined to say I think Authentic's more likely to win the Haskell than Arklow is the UN, acknowledging that Arklow is strictly the horse to beat in here. 
All right. Well, uh, I know that we have limited time and we still have three races to go. We have about 15 minutes to get through them. So let's move on to the 12th, which is the Haskell. And can you elaborate on your pick of authentic? Yeah. You know, it's, it's, I mean, let's be honest. I think the race is a bit of a dud. Um, I, I would have hoped we would get more than seven horses and I would have hoped that it would have been a stronger field authentic he has his his concerns and his issues I, I to be honest i don't know if he has the ability to sit off of a horse and be effective um i'm not going to hold the sanity of derby against him i recognize a number of people were disappointed by that myself included i expect him to win but i thought long term honor ap would be a better horse and now in hindsight when you see the way that honor ap blew his doors off well, I mean, he would probably do that to the vast majority of the three-year-olds, maybe with the exception of Tiv the Law. I, you know, I don't think the race is as bad as it looks, or maybe people are making it out to be. From a running style standpoint, that's a, that is the major concern with this race. If you think Ancient Warrior is going to be sent out of there, New York traffic's not going to be too far off of it. You know, this thing could very easily set up for a horse like Dr. Post. I've just never been a big fan of Dr. Post. He ran just fine in the Belmont. I, I wouldn't fault anyone that said, He's the most likely winner because he's going to get the perfect setup in here and he's moving the right direction. I have no argument against that. He's just not for me. And if he wins, I'll lose. The only other horse for me that I would be mildly intrigued with using as far as the pick is concerned outside of authentic is the three Jesus's team. Um, I thought the one turn effort down at Goldstream most recently, he's not the prettiest mover. He's got a big paddle out there on the left side. Um, but I thought he actually ran really game, really got the effort for him to rally from off of it, a one-turn mile at Gulfstream. Uh, I know the pace was hot that day, and it was predominantly won by the, the top two that came from well off of it, but I thought it was a solid enough effort. He is far from a likely winner, but he would be the only other one outside of Authentic I'd be using, just because, again, I, I, I'm, I'm going to chalk it up and say I think Authentic is just the best horse in the race. The pace situation is definitely a concern, but um, – I'm going to just look at it and say, I, I think he's going to get it done. I usually go to the Haskell uh, every year. I, I, I go to the Haskell. It's, it's one of the races that I've, I've probably been to at least 20 times. When I go, I, it's all Jersey boys that I hang out with and they always bet the Baffert. So he's going to be crushed in the betting. Chris, what did you yeah. think? Well, I, I agree with most of what Matt said, although I'm much higher on Dr. Post than he is. I think Authentic did run well last time, just got beat by a better horse, so there's no shame in that. But I don't think the race shape really helps him. He draws the inside, and there's a lot of speed outside of him, and I don't see how he gets a comfortable trip in here, and he has to go a mile and an eighth, and then he's going to have to hold off Dr. Post, who I think you know, has looked really good. He has never had a good trip and he still runs well that that last trip. I think he was against the track that day and he was really wide and he still, you know, ran second and his race before that, he just had a miserable trip and he showed some, you know, some real spunk to get up and win that one. Uh, and I, I just think we haven't seen the best of him and this race totally sets up for him. And he gets Joe Bravo you know, at Monmouth on the rail. And I just think he gets the perfect setup. And I'll be surprised you know, if Authentic can hold him off, although maybe he does. But I really do think it's Dr. Post. So you know, I feel like Dr. Post is, is the one to, that will win. Authentic's the one he has to beat. 
I'm not too concerned about anything else in here other than maybe New York traffic, if they can somehow get him from that post to relax and set off the pace a little bit, he might have a chance to run second um, behind Dr. Post and beat off in it. But to me, it's the, you know, the two favorites are definitely the ones to beat. Well, I've definitely come around to Dr. Post. He's run really well. I went against him his first time two turns, and he he won despite that trouble. And in the Belmont, I watched the race today. He was he had enough positional speed. He was wide. He got beat by. I mean, who wasn't going to get beat by Tisla that day? Right. Uh, right. To, I mean, you know, he was running a figure that is is, is it wasn't even his best, but it was still. Uh, good enough to win most races uh, that three-year-olds have run this year. I, I, I liked him, and, and, and I was trying to watch the gallop out, but they zoomed in so that uh, Tisla's face took up half the screen. But when they finally showed a, a wide angle, t- uh, Dr. Post and Tisla were both galloping out great all the way around the second turn, the, 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 uh, the clubhouse turn. So he just looked like a horse that just wants to keep going. And I think there's going to be some pace here. You know, you win, you win at Monmouth by being close to the pace. That's generally what happens. So a lot of them are going to try to do it. And I don't think they will with Dr. Post because, yeah, they, they certainly didn't try to do it in the Belmont. Uh, uh, yeah, it's weird to think the Belmont, right? I'm, I'm thinking it's a mile and an eighth. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so yeah, he would be my pick, and I was kind of waiting to hear what you guys thought about authentic and New York traffic. I I I have to agree that you can't you you can't play a pick five that has both Arclo and authentic. You you just can't do it. Uh, uh, you know, unless you're sure that there's going to be long shots in the other in the other legs, and even then, it still might not be that good. And you're relying on two horses that you know have reasons to suspect. So I'm inclined to maybe in this case, especially since Chris kind of I wasn't sure what to do with New York traffic, but uh, he I he hasn't gotten through his two year old best, at least on the sheets. So that's a reason to not spend any money on him. So maybe I just single Dr. Post. I mean, if I were in your shoes and, and I like Dr. Post like that, that's probably what I would do, just personally. I would look at it and say, because outside of the, the inside two horses, I agree. I'm, I'm not thrilled with New York traffic. He just he hasn't proven really a, a hell of a lot to me. And from a running style standpoint, I don't know. If I think he and Authentic have very similar running styles, I think Authentic is a considerably better horse than New York traffic is. So based on that alone, I'm going to pitch New York traffic. But if, if the pace situation is a concern and I were in someone like your shoes, Scott, where you look at it and you say, I, I think our flow is, you know, you have to use him. I would probably just single Dr. Post to take my chances. Yeah. I mean, you know, you can, as, as has been repeated to me by uh, some handicappers, I know it's okay to lose the pick five. You know, you don't have to, you can yeah. put a small amount of money into it and if authentic wins, okay. You know, so I didn't win the pick five. If you're not putting 500 bucks into it, that's okay. But don't put 500 bucks into it and be stuck with the scenario where you might have both Arclo and Authentic because you're going to lose money. 
Right. Um, now, I know we only have about 10 more minutes, so let's move on to the, the next race, which is the 13th. It's the Wolf Hill Stakes, five and a half furlongs on turf, purse of 75 for 75,000 for three-year-olds and up. And I think we're with you, Chris. Yeah, this is another race. <laughs> this is, reminds me a lot of last week's Shaker Town, but not the horses aren't quite as same quality, but it's the same sort of wide open race. And I'm going to land on a, the same sort of kind of crazy long shot. Uh, last week I went with Carew's, uh, also like Totally Boss quite a bit, but um, I thought Carew's was a real interesting bomb. And in here I like the 10 horse, Regally Irish, who is a lot like Cruz was last week. He was good as a two-year-old. He kind of had a lost three-year-old year. And, you know, now we're back. And as a four-year-old, I hope I'm right about that. I should look at his form while we're talking. Yeah, as it comes back as a four-year-old. And uh, I just tossed out his debut going long. And then his last race, I actually played him. And he got a really bad trip. He got caught behind horses in the stretch and had no chance to run at all. So it's a complete toss. But he was, he did gallop out well. So he had some run in him. And I think he could be sitting on a really big race. The only concern I have is he is trained by Graham Motion. So he might attract some attention. And that trip was so obvious and so bad. He might get overplayed on that. Um, so that 20 to one morning line might be a pipe dream, but if he is a big price, the 13 Regally Irish, I think is very dangerous in here. I definitely had him as an include and, uh, I had a note to watch his last race. Matt, where did you land? I mean, surf sprints for me are, are very typically not a strong suit. Um, the kind of, I just have to deal with it because it's part of the sequence. Uh, individually, I probably would be punting. So for me, it's a race where I'd probably use a few horses. Um, there were three specifically that I had kind of keyed in on. And I guess, you know, maybe I'm just kind of a glutton for punishment. I'm going to keep chasing this horse and hopefully one day he ends up coming through for me. I still believe in smart remark. Uh, the number four horse for Vicky Oliver. Gallardo takes them out here. Second off the layoff, that most recent start, well able, wired the field. It was basically a merry-go-round. He never really got involved at any point. Prior to that, he was a million to one in the Appleton. I actually gave him a little chance in there. He didn't do any real running, but he had a little bit of traffic trouble entering the first turn. But last year, you look at some of his turf sprints. Okay, he never got all the money, and it's been a while since we've seen him in the winter circle. I mean, he hasn't actually had his picture taken since October of 2018, but he ran against some pretty darn good turf sprinters last year. Some of the names like Stubbins and Leinster, Infamous, Totally Boss, World of Trouble, Ohm. I mean, he ran against what I think are probably better horses than he'll face in a spot like this, maybe with the exception of a horse like Shecky Shabazz or someone else. But to me, smart remark, I'm just, again, maybe I'm just a glutton for punishment. You guys talked me off the, off the fence. I mean, at eight to one, I want to give him another look in here. Hopefully he can be a little bit closer than he was in that run at Churchill most recently. I hate it when he kind of comes from out of the cloud. That I'd like him to be in sort of that three to four length off of it position. And if he is, I'll take my chances from that position. But um, I'll give him a look at eight to one. And I had kind of obvious horses otherwise, the six Arch of Dust and the nine Checky Shabazz. But 
Um, let's go with Smart Remark is my pick. All right. I have included Smart Remark in so many races, but after the <laughs> last race, after I realized in the last race that he is one for 14 on turf and 0 for yeah. 8 at the distance with, a, with only two seconds, I, I want at least 20 to 1 to include this horse. But you know, the numbers say he could run a he he's capable of running a, a good race. So I I'm I'm not gonna use him in this race because he is eight to one and he if he goes off at twenty to one and he wins, then I'll regret it. I actually I thought it was wide open and I thought it was like the race last week with Leinster who who won at like ten to one, where you had to go deep. But then I got to handicapping. <laughs> Like really zeroing in, and I decided that I'm singling a horse in this race, and that is the 11 American Sailor. This horse is seven for 11 at the distance. Now, uh, the racing form will list five and five and a half as the same distance, so you can't trust that number just looking at the distance record. Uh, I think the distance record, he's, it says he's 10 for 31 at the distance, but that includes five furlong races. If you narrow it down to five and a half furlong races, he's seven for 11. Um, so some other things that I like about the horse, uh, he, he needs to have the lead. He's hell bent on getting the lead and nobody else is hell bent on it. Now, Shecky Shabazz has sometimes had the lead, but he also has not had to have the lead to win and he's got a new trainer now. And I, it doesn't seem like he's working that fast. Uh, I, he's working. Okay. He's, he's working pretty solid on the turf, but I, I just think American sailors probably going to get the lead. He runs one big race per year. And it just looks to me like the big race that he's going to run is today. So just based on it being a second off a layoff, got great spacing into this race. The trainer is one for seven at Monmouth, and that went, that one win came this week at 12 to one in a five and a half furlong turf race. I also, just out of interest, because sometimes I look up how the trainer does with the owner. When I, you know, I'm trying to figure out what's going on with the horse, and when I see that they change trainers, I, I ask myself, why did they change trainers? Well, the owner, this wasn't a claimed horse. This was a horse that the owner switched. I mean, maybe it was purchased privately. But with this owner, this trainer is eight for 40. And um, he doesn't have a great ROI, but he's also never run with this owner at this track. So I think he could be overlooked. He's five to one morning line. I think he could go off higher. And, you know, instead, because I feel like you really have to go deep in the first and second legs, I think uh, this is the race where you take a stand, or at least that's where I take a stand. And, I mean, this is that's a spot, too, where, to your point, from a pace standpoint, you, you could do a heck of a lot worse than being controlling speed going five, five and a half furlongs on turf. And, like you say, with the exception of maybe Shaki Shabazz, but even then it seems like he's more comfortable maybe sitting a length or two off of it um, who's really going to go, you know, hammer and tong early on with, with American Sailor? I don't know that there is anyone. If they yeah, do, I, they're probably going to regret it. Right. Right. I yeah. Exactly. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think any of them can go with him early. So I think he will be on the lead. Just question is, will he 
be on the lead at the end. I think, I don't know if I would single him, but I think he definitely has a chance to win. Uh, speed is always dangerous at more so at five, but even at five and a half furlongs on the turf. And I, I don't see how he doesn't get the lead. I mean, he was, if you watch his last race, man, he didn't break that well, but boy, he took off as soon as he, um, got his feet under him. So he's a fast horse really quick and, and dangerous. So I, I wouldn't talk Scott off that pick. I'm not sure I would single him in this race, but if you can single a horse and get through this leg, that's big because this is one where most people and probably me included will be um, spreading out. And I, I am not, I'm a little bit more in Matt's camp on smart remark. I think he has excuses for some of those races. Um, and I think, you know, he definitely has a shot in here. So I, I wouldn't talk you off of that one either. Um, so I, I kind of see it the same as you. I don't know if anyone mentioned Arcadust, who to me is probably the best horse in the race. Uh, the only question mark is it's going from Navarro to Asmussen. But this is a horse. It's not like something that Navarro claimed and moved up or something. This is a horse that he had from the start. And the horse on turf has just been really, really good. And Asmussen's a really good trainer. He's had him for four or five months now. And, you know, he's not great off the layoff, so he might need one race. But to me, he's the best horse in the race and one you don't want to leave off. Probably the most likely winner, but not by much. So that's the only other thing I would add in this race. Okay. We only have a, we only have a couple more minutes. Um, so let's move on to the 14th race, <laughs> the 14th race. And that is the Molly pitcher stakes grade three, a mile and 16th on dirt purse of 250,000 for Phillies and mares three-year-old and up Matt, where did you land? This is probably my, of the five races, my strongest opinion. And, you know, I guess it's always a dangerous angle taking the horse that was eased in their most recent start. But to me, horologist, not, be, not just because she's four for four at Monmouth Park, but draw a line through the Santa Maria because she took that bad step rounding the far turn and they took care of her afterward. The apple blossom, I, I believe she was going to fire had she not been stopped as badly as she was at the top of the lane. Prior to that, you've got that run in the Nelly Morse, which I think was just fine off the layoff going a one-turn mile. Uh, the La Cañada, for whatever reason, she didn't really fire. Maybe it was because that was the first time going out uh, for Valtus's barn. Now uh, Bill Mott is listed as the trainer. And I, I just, you know, I go through and I look at this field and I understand she's a Julie, you know, the same move that Asmussen used last year with Midnight Bisu, but we're talking about, it's apples to oranges. She's a Julie to Midnight Bisu. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way to she's a Julie or the connections, but I mean, we're not talking about a, a world beater here. And as much as I like Royal Flag, Royal Flag, to me, going back to the top of the show, when Chris brought up the lead chain situation, Royal Flag, to me, is just green as grass. I think there's a ton of ability there, but, you know, this is going to be the most difficult test of her career. I know the horse that she defeated in that most recent start, Saracosa, she came back and earned a nice fire. I believe it was 90, 92, somewhere around there, and they were about four and a half clear of the rest of the field in that Churchill race. I just, you know, if I'm looking at it from a professionalism standpoint and from a speed standpoint, I understand the outside draw is no bargain, but I just, if she's okay, I think horologist is arguably the best horse in the race. And that's including she's a Julie. If I can get five to one, I'll take it in a heartbeat. All right. Well, that's interesting because I, I think horologist is 
uh, a takeout reducer. And I'm against serologists. I, and I think a lot of people are going to, I think she's going to be bet more than, than more lower than five to one. Chris, where did you land? Well, I actually agree with Matt on horologist. I thought the race at Oakland, she was absolutely loaded when she got stopped. I think she would have run a big race in there. I don't know what happened in that last race, but they shipped her east and changed Barnes to Bill Mott. And I just don't think they'd be running her in here if, you know, there was some, you know, Bill Mott would be running her in here if you know, they that wasn't anything major that went wrong you know he's had her for a while he's been working her up at saratoga so i think she's definitely a contender i'm a little bit worried about that post uh post 11 and a mile and 16th and that's not going to help her and i'm you know i'm still a little bit nervous about that last race but i don't see and i i guess they could bet her in here i don't i'd be surprised though off of those two races if she gets bet down below well, the she's morning four line. for four at monmouth and she's trained by Bill Mott, so the horse is going to be bet. Oh, I could just, be. I figured you're... with royal with royal flag and she's a Julie. I just I don't. I, she may be bet, but I can't imagine her being much less. I mean, you think she's less than four? You know, like you said, there's there's a lot of horses in the race, so it's it's you you, you know it's kind of hard to predict. I mean, you know, yeah. If, sure. if you bring her down to four, then you got to bring every other horse up. So. So anyway, I I am. Um... I, I think you have to watch the odds board. So clearly, you know, if she's four to one, I'm not so interested, but she flows up above five to one. I could get interested in her. I'll just, um, she's a Julie. I've always been a fan. You know, I picked her in her last two starts. She lost all chance two races back when she reared up at the start, but then she, she validated my faith in her last time. And I made some money. I actually probably made more money with having her lose that prior race. So I'm a big fan, but um, I'm and Steve Asmussen with these older horses. Usually, when they get good, they stay good. But that was a, a giant effort for her, and she had to really dig deep to win. And she she got a big number, and now she comes back and she's giving weight to the field. And you know, she ran big about the same time last year and kind of reacted to that. Um, so this is a. a a horse where even given the trainer, I think I'm a little nervous to rely on her to run back to that race. And if she doesn't, she's vulnerable, uh, especially at the weight. Um, and I do think this pace could cook up a little bit and she drawn the rail be, will be forwardly placed and that probably doesn't help her either. So, uh, and I agree with Matt, I'm not as big on Royal flag and she's probably going to be a big underlay. So I sort of landed on the five horse vault as the horse I like in here, because I think she's the best closer and will benefit from that fast early pace. Um, she always finishes her races off. She hasn't been running that poorly um, this year. And I think she gets the setup in here and is ready to break through with a big win. And this will, you know, she moved to Brad Cox's barn this year and really hasn't run that big race yet. She's just kind of gotten a little better with every start. So I think here she'll get a setup and she could come rolling late and blow past them all. So I kind of like vault and I'm hoping maybe she gets overlooked a little bit with the one and the two. And if Scott's right and they bet the 11, then maybe you get five, six to one on vault. And that's the way I would go. 
Well, you do have a, t uh, I haven't looked at the pace of the race yet. Uh, I'm behind in my handicapping. So the last race I, I, I didn't, um, I haven't done enough work. I certainly have to do some replay work and, and the pace that's uh, it's a pretty important. I, I wrote that I was on the fence with the vault. I'm against horologist mainly just because she runs only one big race a year. And that was three races ago, at least on the sheets. She ran a new top at a mile at Laurel. And I just, I noticed these certain horses, they can only run one big race a year. And even though horologist had won a bunch of times, she only ran one big figure and she ran a better figure already this year. So that it may, it's possible that she'll run even better and that'll be like her last big fig of the year. But, uh, from the outside post, that's, that's why I'm against her. I actually landed on a long shot here and that's the number nine sweet Sammy D who I feel like I might've bet one. I might've bet and lost on already one time, but she ran pretty solid as a three-year-old. She ran a couple fast races. She's second off a layoff as a four-year-old, and she ran a totally respectable last race. She was five wide on the first turn. I haven't watched the race, but she, they have her listed as you know five wide on the first turn. It looked like a prep race. Like that jockey doesn't have to keep her wide. She is capable of running up more on the inside. So I think they just set it up so they could make a big score here. Um, second off a layoff, that's what this horse does. And it's sort of like totally boss last week. And I know he lost, but he still almost won. Second off a layoff is the way this horse works. She uh, improved dramatically from her first race to her second race as a two-year-old. Same thing as a three-year-old. Uh, her first time going two turns on the dirt was at Monmouth, and she won by 20 lengths at five to one. Uh, she's two for six at Monmouth. She's one for four at the distance. She's got stout breeding on the dam side. It's only a mile and 16th, but you know, whenever I see first samurai, I, I, I question, like, does this horse want to go a distance, you know, even two turns? And she's proven that she can, and she's got that breeding. So, the trainer, second off a layoff, that is his sweet spot. Uh, he's got a 230, 232 ROI, second off the layoff. He's good at Monmouth. He has a 182 lifetime ROI at Monmouth. Uh, and he's got a 230 ROI with his jockey. So with, with all those great records and every other horse being somewhat questionable in here, and she's going to come off the pace, that that's my bomber. And, um, I, I would, I haven't, I haven't decided not to use Royal flag. I think you probably have to use her, but, um, sweet Sammy D will be my top pick. Chris, to your point real quick about vault, I, I kind of agree. You go back and you look at that obey us, both her and the winner that day, lucky move. They went for home really early. I think it was probably at least a half mile out. As opposed to, you know, when you start to see these horses typically start really warming up, rounding the far turn, they almost went for home going into it. So, okay, she didn't quite get the job done, but they were well clear of the rest of the field. And that, to me, I don't want to say it was a, a premature move because, again, the top two ended up being the top two. But it, 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 
at least makes me believe that she's going to fit the potential profile of this race quite well. If you think that the pace is going to heat up. Um, and I think of the, let's just say the four horses that are short morning line prices. I think she's the one that goes North. I, I could see her being seven to one when it's all said and done. Yeah, I hope, I hope you're right about that. Um, and I, you know, Scott, I agree with you after the top four that we've talked about sweet Sammy D is the one who's not impossible in here. Um, so, and you could get a really big price. I think the post is, is a negative, but I mean, you're going to get a big price and maybe the, the horse gets a good trip even from that post. So I, I think that one does have some potential. Yeah. One reason why I'm not that keen on vault is maybe because I think I had her in her last two races. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about the last race. No, I didn't. I haven't played Delaware <laughs> in a long time. So uh, <laughs> I had her in that May 23rd race at Churchill and you know, Chocolate Kisses and Dunbar Road, they they spanked her, and she was supposed to win that race. I, I mean, it says she was bumped, and I, I don't remember that, uh, and may, maybe that affected her. But I think that's just one of those horses that I like on the numbers but have sort of uh, faded in enthusiasm for. Well, in, in her defense, in that race, they crawled for the first half mile, and that and she – she had no chance at that point. Um, so I, to me that race and you know, Dunbar road's a good horse anyway, but I mean, she had no chance the way that race unfolded her race before that, uh, was off the, the layoff and she ran fairly well. And like Matt said, her last race was probably better than it looks. She made a long sustained run and now, uh, she gets the right kind of setup with a fast pace, which she hasn't gotten this year. Um, I think it really, will help her chances because if you look at her races last year i mean she was reeling off wins against lesser company but um you know she's a horse that can finish off races so hey you know what she's she's five for eight at the distance and when i say i'm on the fence and 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 i come into this and you can talk me into a horse you talked me into art collector last week and that's why i hit the pick five i i didn't pound art collector but i used him and uh, that's why we have this discussion. So um, based on your analysis and uh, the, the, inf- the when, you, when you get new information, you need to do something with it. So uh, I'll, I'll make her an include, especially since she's nine to two, could get drift, could drift up. And, um, and I'm, I'm taking a stand with American Sailor. So, so um, I'm, I'm checking her off into the, into the use column for sure. All right. Sounds good. All right. I think we have to let Matt go here pretty quick. Yeah. So uh, I have a a production meeting coming up. I I wish I could stay longer, but. Hey, like when NBC talks, you have to listen. Um, So, so, so thanks a lot, Matt. We really appreciate you taking this, giving us this window on your busy day. Uh, Good luck covering on NBC. We'll, uh, we'll be looking for you on the big screen. Um, thanks for coming to handicap with us. Yeah, Scott, Chris, thanks for everything. Again, uh, you guys are two, and I'm not just saying this cause I'm talking to you guys right now on your podcast, but you're two of the sharpest guys that there are as far as the handicapping game is concerned. So, uh, thanks for all the advice and all the sort of information that you guys put out and, uh, thanks for having me on again. All right. Well, it was great to have you and 
We will conclude show number 72 of the Sport of Kings pod now. Have a profitable Haskell day and please enjoy the Brooklyn Boogaloo blowout. I'll see you on the Sport of Kings. Cheers. Giddy up. <laughs>